Let's turn in God's Word this evening to Luke chapter 1. Luke 1. We're going to take a break for the next few weeks from going through the armor of God in Ephesians chapter 6 to preach a few sermons leading up to Christmas time. Luke 1, the text for the sermon is verses 15 through 17. Let's read the first 25 verses. For as much as many have taken in hand to set forth in order a declaration of those things which are most surely believed among us, even as they delivered them unto us, which from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word. It seemed good to me also, having had perfect understanding of all things from the very first, to write unto thee in order, most excellent Theophilus, that thou mightest know the certainty of those things wherein thou hast been instructed. There was in the days of Herod, the king of Judea, a certain priest named Zacharias of the course of Abia. And his wife was of the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking in all the commandments and ordinances of the Lord blameless. And they had no child, because that Elizabeth was barren. And they both were now well stricken in years. And it came to pass that while he executed the priest's office before God in the order of his course, according to the custom of the priest's office, his lot was to burn incense when he went into the temple of the Lord. And the whole multitude of the people were praying without at the time of incense. And there appeared unto him an angel of the Lord, standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And when Zacharias saw him, he was troubled, and fear fell upon him. But the angel said unto him, Fear not, Zacharias, for thy prayer is heard. And thy wife Elizabeth shall bear thee a son, and thou shalt call his name John. And thou shalt have joy and gladness, and many shall rejoice at his birth. For he shall be great in the sight of the Lord, and shall drink neither wine nor strong drink. And he shall be filled with the Holy Ghost, even from his mother's womb. And many of the children of Israel shall he turn to the Lord their God. And he shall go before him in the spirit and power of Elias, to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just, to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. And Zacharias said unto the angel, Whereby shall I know this? For I am an old man, and my wife well stricken in years. And the angel answering said unto him, I am Gabriel that stand in the presence of God and am sent to speak unto thee and to show thee these glad tidings. 
And behold, thou shalt be dumb, and not able to speak, until the day that these things shall be performed, because thou believest not my words, which shall be fulfilled in their season. And the people waited for Zacharias and marveled that he tarried so long in the temple. And when he came out, he could not speak unto them. And they perceived that he had seen a vision in the temple, for he beckoned unto them and remained speechless. And it came to pass that as soon as the days of his ministration were accomplished, he departed to his own house. And after those days his wife Elizabeth conceived and hid herself five months, saying, Thus hath the Lord dealt with me in the days wherein he looked on me to take away my reproach among men. We stop our reading of God's holy and inspired word at that point. May God add his blessing upon the reading of his holy scriptures. The text that we consider is verses 15 through 17. The angel Gabriel says, For he shall be great in the sight of the Lord, and shall drink neither wine nor strong drink, and he shall be filled with the Holy Ghost, even from his mother's womb. And many of the children of Israel shall he turn to the Lord their God, and he shall go before him in the spirit and power of Elias, to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children, and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just, to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Beloved congregation in the Lord Jesus Christ, one of the great blessings that I have discovered of becoming a parent and then having another child as well is the great joy that others share with you on this happy occasion. It caught me by surprise. I suppose I should have known that others would rejoice with you on such a happy occasion, but it it caught me by surprise. The joy that others have with one when a child is born. But then as I started to think about it, I thought, well, really this is nothing new. Having joy on the occasion of the birth of a child. Likely this has been happening since the beginning of history. Ever since Adam and Eve had their first child, there would have been rejoicing. And evidently it was the case that when John the Baptist, was born, that many rejoiced on the occasion of his birth. At least that's what the angel Gabriel told Zacharias. Verse 14, And thou shalt have joy and gladness, and many shall rejoice at his birth. 
Many, the text says, shall rejoice at his birth. Certainly the parents, Zacharias and Elizabeth, who had waited so, so long for a child and at last had their prayers heard and answered by God, certainly they rejoiced. But not just them, many, the Word of God tells us, would rejoice at the birth of John the Baptist. There was yet that faithful remnant in Israel. People like Joseph and Mary, godly Simeon, the prophetess Anna, who upon hearing of the birth of Zacharias, who would prepare the way for the Lord, they would have rejoiced at such a birth announcement. Many shall rejoice. And does not the many include you and me? It's not just people at that time who would rejoice at the announcement of the birth of John the Baptist, but you and I join with the church throughout all ages in rejoicing that God would give unto His church this forerunner of Christ. We rejoice at the announcement that the angel Gabriel gave regarding John, not because John himself would be our Savior, but because John would be the great prophet who would go before our Savior. For he shall be great in the sight of the Lord. He shall be great. We use that as our theme this evening. First, we'll see that John would be a great prophet. Second, doing a great work. Third, for a great purpose. John the Baptist would be a prophet. There are a number of phrases in verses 15 through 17, that call attention to the fact that God had set him apart for a special office. And that special office that God had set John apart for was the office of prophet. The fact that he was set apart, we see first of all from the fact that he would be filled with the Holy Ghost. Verse 15, And he shall be filled with the Holy Ghost even from his mother's womb, from before his entrance into this world, it was clear, it would be manifest that God had set him apart for office. Verse 16, Many of the children of Israel shall he turn to the Lord their God. And we'll look more closely at this turning to the Lord their God in the second point. But for now, we note that's the work of a prophet. Prophet brings God's Word with that intended goal of turning the hearts of the people unto the Lord their God. And then a final evidence that John the Baptist would be a prophet is found in the connection to Elijah. Verse 17, And he, John, 
shall go before him, Christ, in the spirit and power of Elias, Elijah, to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children. That he would go in the spirit and in the power of Elijah means that there would be a correlation, a similarity between the work that John did on this earth and the work that Elijah did on this earth. And the children know what was the calling that God gave to Elijah. He was a prophet. And so just as Elijah was a prophet, so John the Baptist would be a prophet. The meaning of the word prophet means one that bubbles or boils over. Just as the pot filled with water on the stove becomes hot, and as that water becomes too hot, it starts to boil and even bubble over, cannot be contained by the lid which is put on that pot. That's the idea here of a prophet. A prophet has something within him. And that which is within him cannot be contained. One can attempt to silence the prophet, put a lid, as it were, over the prophet to contain, hold back that message, and yet that message cannot be stopped, but it will go forth. The reason that that which is in the prophet will go forth is because, beloved, that which is in the prophet is the Word of God. And that Word cannot be stopped. Men might hate the Word of God. Men might not want to listen to the Word of God, men might refuse to see the authority of the Word of God. But God's Word will not and cannot be stopped. The authority that John the Baptist would have as a prophet was an authority not found in himself, But the authority that he had to teach and to instruct and to call the people to repent was authority that came from the living Word of God Himself. In Acts chapter 3, Peter there was responding to the request of a lame beggar to give unto him some money. And how did Peter respond to that lame beggar? He said, silver and gold have I none, but such as I have, give I thee. That's what the prophet does. Such as I have, give I unto thee. Such as I have. What what did John have? Well, John had what God had given unto him. Such understanding of God's will as God had given unto John. Such a knowledge of who God is, of who the Messiah is. Such knowledge about sin, about breaking God's law. That knowledge, such as I have, John brought unto 
the people. A prophet he would be. A special type of prophet, certainly. He would be a Nazarite. The text tells us in the middle of verse 15, and shall drink neither wine nor strong drink. A man set apart for a special work. You need power. You need boldness to do this. God said He's going to have the power and the spirit of Elijah. And he, John, shall go before Christ in the spirit and power of Elias. The idea here is that the Old Testament prophet Elijah had a spirit of power. That is, he had a powerful spirit. There was something about the presence, the ministry, the instruction of Elijah the prophet that demanded the attention of the Old Testament Israelites. Elijah was bold to proclaim the Word of God in difficult circumstances at that point in Israel's history. Israel, Elijah rather pro- proclaimed the Word of God before kings and rulers. He went before Ahab and Jezebel and condemned them for their wickedness. He preached sharply against the sins of God's people. How long? Halty between two opinions. If God is God, worship God. But if Baal is God, then give up your pretense. Stop coming to church and go worship Baal. He called down fire on Mount Carmel to destroy, consume the altar of Baal. And then He gave the commandment and the 450 prophets of Baal were killed. John the Baptist would go forth with the powerful spirit of Elijah. The Word of God tells us he would be great. Not an ordinary prophet, but John the Baptist would be a Great prophet. What does this mean that he would be a great prophet? It's hard even with humility to consider this idea of greatness. Because who of us doesn't want to be great? Who doesn't want to be recognized for his or her abilities? Who doesn't feel at times that they've been slighted, that they've been sidelined, while someone else has been set forward as being great? 
how hard it is to have the proper spirit of humility while we consider what greatness is. Greatness. Did you understand greatness? We must know who is the one that said He would be great. The text tells us that the judge, the one who is looking upon John the Baptist and who determined that he would be great, is not man, but God. For he shall be great in the sight of the Lord. Oftentimes, is it not the case that those who are great in the Lord's sight are not great in the sight of mankind. Those whom the Lord has reserved a high place in heaven oftentimes occupy the lowliest, basest of positions on this earth. In God's eyes, in the sight of the Lord, He shall be great. Greatness, what does it consist of? The world has their standards of what makes one great. The world says that greatness is determined by things that can be measured objectively, or at least by things that can be evaluated from an outward physical perspective. What is greatness according to the world? Perhaps it's physical beauty. This person has great amounts of physical attractiveness. And so the world takes a picture of that individual and plasters the image of that person on the front of the magazine. This is greatness, says the world. Or the world would measure greatness in terms of wealth. Look how successful this business person is. He is great. Or the world would measure greatness in terms of political power. Look how this person came up out of nothing and came to this powerful, prestigious, important position. He or she is Great. But who is great in God's sight? What does God determine is greatness? His standard is different, must be different. Whereas the world looks at physical beauty, God looks at the spiritual adornment of the heart. Whereas the world looks at physical wealth as greatness, God tells us to lay up our treasures in heaven. Whereas the world looks at political power as greatness, God considers the man great who can rule well his own soul and his own home. Greatness, what is it? 
Greatness cannot be understood apart from Jesus Christ. Greatness, is it not this? It's the position of service that God gave to John the Baptist right next to Jesus Christ. That's greatness. The position of service that God privileges one to have right next to Jesus Christ. Recall the argument that the disciples would have so often. Who's going to be the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Who's going to be right next to Jesus in heaven? It's remarkable that in the reply of Jesus, He does not deny greatness. He doesn't say, He doesn't rebuke the disciples and say, no, there's not going to be greatness or levels of greatness in heaven. But instead, He taught them, He used that occasion to teach them about what greatness consists of. Matthew 20 Verses 26 through 28. Important verses. Let's turn there together. Matthew 20, looking here at verses 26 through 28. We read there starting at verse 26, but it shall not be so among you. But, whosoever will be great among you, let him be your minister. You know what the word in the original is for minister? Servant. Let him be your servant. Verse 27, And whosoever will be chief among you, let him be your servant even as the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give His life a ransom for many. There we have true greatness, do we not? In Jesus Christ, who came into this world in order to give His life as a servant. He gave His life to be a ransom for Many. True greatness cannot be understood apart from Jesus Christ, for Jesus sets the standard of what greatness is. Luke 1, chapter we read, verse 32, a little bit later. Luke 1, 32, He, speaking of Jesus, He shall be great and shall be called the Son of the Highest. And the Lord God shall give unto Him the throne of His Father, David. That's why John the Baptist was great. Not because of any special thing that John of himself would say or do or perform in the nation of Israel. Not because John himself had so many abilities within himself that of his own 
strength or of his own intellect, he was able to turn the hearts of the children unto the Lord their God. But here's why John was great. Because God privileged John to have that position of service right next to Jesus Christ. All of the Old Testament prophets who had preceded John the Baptist had said, He's coming. The Messiah is coming. Off in the distance there comes this lion of the tribe of Judah. There comes this man who has no form, no comeliness that we shall desire him. There comes this Prince of Peace. There comes this Emmanuel. But they had to point oh so far off into the distance. But in comparison to that, John the Baptist did not say, he's off in the distance. He's way out there on the distant horizon. No, John the Baptist said, he is here. He's here. And He's going to establish His kingdom. That's why John was great. Because God placed him right next to Jesus Christ in the position of a servant. A great work God called John the Baptist unto Work is described by the angel Gabriel as that of turning. Verse 16, And many of the children of Israel shall he turn to the Lord their God. And again described as turning in the middle of verse 17, to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the hearts of the disobedient to the wisdom of the just. Turning. That John would have as his great work, the work of turning, was according to Old Testament prophecy. Malachi. At the very, very end of the Old Testament, Malachi 4, verses 5 and 6, the concluding words of the Old Testament. We read there, Malachi 4, verse 5, Behold, I send you Elijah the prophet. When he says here, I send you Elijah, he speaks of Elijah as a picture of John the Baptist. Elijah had already come. He wasn't going to resend Elijah, but he speaks here of John the Baptist as pictured by Elijah. Behold, I send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord, and he shall turn the heart of the fathers to the children, and the heart of the children to their fathers, lest I come and smite the earth with a curse. Thus ends the Old Testament. And then the angel Gabriel, now at the dawn of the New Testament, comes and tells Zacharias and Elizabeth that their son is going to be the one who is going to turn the hearts of God's people unto the Lord their God. The turning that John would seek to implement throughout his ministry 
was a spiritual turning. It was not attempting to lead some sort of a social revolution. It was not attempting to implement new policies that would govern the land of Palestine. But John the Baptist was concerned about their hearts. Verse 17, to turn the hearts of the fathers to their children. The catechism students know the answer to this. What is it called when God turns one's heart? It's conversion, is it not? Conversion. That was the great work that God gave John the Baptist to do to convert the hearts of the fathers toward their children, to convert the children of Israel to the Lord their God. And so this shows unto us something, does it not, of the power and of the nature of preaching. The power of bringing God's Word unto His people. John the Baptist, we saw in the first point, would be a prophet. He would proclaim God's Word. And what would be the effect of proclaiming God's Word? The effect was this, that it would turn the children of Israel unto the Lord their God. That shows us the power that God gives unto the preached Word. The preached Word must not be misunderstood to be the same as a lecture, the same as a speech or a public form of address that can be given outside of the walls of the church. A lecture can be informative. A lecture can be beneficial. But a lecture cannot, does not have power given unto it by God to turn the hearts of God's people. But it's to preaching that God has granted that power. The preaching goes forth and the goal, the objective of preaching is to work change in the hearts of God's people. God's people should come to church and as the preaching goes forth and the Spirit takes that Word and presses that Word on the hearts of God's people, the preaching ought to transform the people of God so that from that point forward, the child of God is never the same as what they were previously. If somebody comes to church and sits under the preaching and then goes home afterwards and concludes, ah, I learned, learned a lot in that sermon. Very instructive sermon. But that sermon did not effect change in the heart of that person. Then something failed. Either the preacher failed to bring the Word of God or the parishioner failed to come, ready to hear 
what the Spirit has to say unto the church. The power of preaching is that it turns. To do this work then, John needed to be great. How else would John be able to turn the hearts of the people unto the Lord? There's no way that John could do it of himself. No individual person has such great abilities that they can transform the will, the mind, the desires of God's people. Man cannot do it. The minister cannot do it. The elders cannot turn the hearts of the straying sheep. Parents cannot turn the disobedient hearts of their children to the wisdom of the just. But what is impossible with man is possible with God. That's why John was great. God placed him right next to Jesus Christ in a position of service next to Jesus Christ, for John would not be able of himself to turn the hearts of the people, but it was as John drew strength from Jesus Christ, whom he stood right next to, that John was granted that ability to, according to verse 16, turn the children of Israel to the Lord their God. How necessary was this change, this turning in Israel. Walk with me as it were into the home of one of the citizens of the nation of Israel and observe with me what you see in this home, there you see the Father. Instead of the Father leading in devotions, opening up the Word of God, the Father is busy at work. There you see the mother of the home. Instead of the mother giving herself to the rearing up of her children in the fear of the Lord, the mother is seeking her own pleasures and her own wants. Here you see children. They are not well-behaved children, but they are disobedient and rebellious children. They are disobedient and rebellious because the hearts of their fathers do not care about the spiritual well-being of the children. Oh, the fathers will put on a pretense about caring about the spiritual condition of their children. 
He will warn and mourn and weep and lament when the children do not do as Father expects them to do. But the fathers do not have their hearts turned to their children because the father is too busy caring for himself. There came John the Baptist turning the hearts of the fathers to their children, turning the children of Israel to the Lord their God. Whenever there is a great spiritual revival in the church, it includes a great revival in the home. May God grant to us as a congregation that we as fathers have our hearts turned toward our children. Turned toward them not in the sense that we worship them. Not in the sense that our happiness or satisfaction is dependent upon them. Not that we grant them their every wish and every desire. That's making an idol out of children. But may God grant that we as fathers have our hearts turned toward our children in this regard, that we seek their spiritual well-being. That we be like Job, who rose up early to offer sacrifices to God in case our children have sinned. Now we do that in the New Testament not by physically offering sacrifices, but by prayers. Fathers, how often are you on your knees crying unto God for the salvation of your children? There was a great purpose that God gave unto John the Baptist. And the great purpose is given to us at the end of verse 17 to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. John the Baptist would go before the Lord. We see that at the beginning of verse 17, and he, John, shall go before him, before Christ, in the spirit and power of Elias. Literally, he would go in front of Christ. Before Jesus Christ would condescend into this world, before Jesus would be born, would grow up, would begin His public ministry and eventually be hanged upon the cross, John the Baptist must go first. The Lord would follow upon the work of 
John, God's Son, would follow the forerunner. And so how great was this purpose then that God gave unto John the Baptist to make ready a people that were prepared for the Lord who was going to follow Him. Make ready a people prepared. A slight difference here between making something ready and having them prepared Having them prepared builds upon the idea of making them ready. Having them prepared means this, that He gave unto them the tools, the resources that they needed so that they could be ready. Think of a person who's going to build a home. A person might have a vision, a plan, of what that home is going to look like, but before he can construct that home and before he can make use of that home, he has to have the tools given unto him. He has to have the raw material, the construction material given unto him so that he can construct that home. And that's the idea here of how John the Baptist would go about this work of preparing the people for the Lord. He would give unto them the tools, the resources that they needed so that they could be ready for the coming of Christ. So that they, as it were, could build up their homes and have their homes constructed in such a way that they would be prepared for Jesus. So what did the people need? What were the the tools, the resources? that John gave to them so that they would be ready. It's truth, beloved. That's what he gave. Truth. He gave them the truth about their sinfulness. He taught them from the law of God the law given to Moses so many years ago, that as they stood before that law, they were guilty. He gave them the truth about the fact that they needed cleansing from their sins. He taught them about baptism. He was called John the Baptist. That baptism pictures the washing away of their sins. He taught them that He of Himself could not deliver them from their sins, but that they must look for the true Messiah, Jesus Christ. Truth. Are you prepared, beloved, for Christ's coming? Is your spiritual home, your spiritual life in order? We may speak of Christ coming. He came the first time on the heels of John the Baptist. There's another, actually two different senses in which we may say Christ comes again. He will come again. In the final day, when all of history is completed, He'll come on the clouds of glory. 
and come as the great King, burn the earth and all the wickedness therein, and take His people to heaven to be with Him. Are you prepared for that coming judgment? But there's another sense in which Jesus Christ comes. He comes through the way of death. And He takes one by that doorway of death from off this earth and brings them to their everlasting home. And we do not know when Jesus Christ will come for us in death. It could be tonight. It could be tomorrow. It could be next week. When Jesus comes for you in that way, are you ready to stand before Him and say, I believe that Thou art the Christ. I am sorry for my sins. And I believe that Your righteousness is sufficient to cover my sins. May God make you and me and every one of His children ready. Amen. Our Father which art in heaven, we have stuttered a few words about the mysteries of Thy kingdom. We have heard about John the Baptist made by Thee to be great as he stood next to his beloved Lord and Savior. Would Thou direct our faith unto the Messiah? Would Thou deliver us from sin and from the dominion of sin in our lives Sanctify us by Thy Word. Thy Word is truth. Amen.